Well, I hate to wait. How about you? I enjoyed the service up to the last two minutes. But the little hourglass reminds me that something I want is a little bit elusive. I've got to wait for it. Whether I'm waiting at a traffic light wondering if the light is broken, should I go ahead and run the red light? I'm waiting in line, and everybody knows that I'm more important than the person in front of me. Come on. Yesterday, or the day before yesterday, my wife and I were at Richmond Road at, at the stoplight, and this lady was right out in the middle of the intersection. Come on. She had a red light, and she's sitting right in the middle of the intersection, so traffic can't go this way, so she's ready to go. And now we're ready to go, and I'm losing my sanctification because nobody wants to wait. I'm going to read you a passage in Scripture, though. A lot of waiting has zero spiritual benefit to it. But there is a type of waiting that has huge spiritual benefit to it. I want you to look in your Bibles with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 7. It's an interesting passage. James chapter 5, verse 7. It says, Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Can you say that with me? Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be... Say it again. You also be... You be patient. Establish your hearts, which means don't give up, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, the obvious specific context of this passage is that you and I are supposed to wait. We're waiting on the Lord Jesus to come back one day. It's a promise that he made several thousand years ago. Prophets hundreds of years before that prophesied that Jesus was coming. But guess what? It has not happened yet. So the Bible tells us we need to patiently wait for it. But I want you to look at a phrase because I'm not talking about the second coming of Christ today. But I'm talking about this general spiritual principle found in verse 7 that says, Be patient, brethren, until... Can you say that with me? Be patient, brethren, until... You be patient until God changes things. Because there's some things that are out of my control and beyond my ability to change them and make them the way that I want to be. Hence, I've got to wait until God brings the change about. Now, I'll tell you a story this morning about a guy. His name is Caleb. And Caleb was 40 years old when God made a promise to him. Now, I've been doing a series called The Next Step, and for the last few weeks, this latter has been a picture for us, a metaphor, if you will, of what we do in our spiritual life. In our spiritual life, how many know we can stay where we are on whatever level we are? We can go forwards towards the prize, or we can go backwards either away from God or saying no to God. But Caleb got this promise when he was 40 years old, and God told him he was going to do something incredible in his life. God was going to give him an inheritance in the land, in the promised land. Well, he was 40 years old. The only problem, though, is he had to wait until he was how old? 85 years of age before that promise was fulfilled. Now, how many know that's a long time to wait? See, nobody likes to wait. I don't like to wait 45 minutes, much less 45 years. But something is going on. And let me tell you this. As believers, when we wait, we're not waiting just watching TV or twiddling our thumbs until the time goes away. There's something spiritual that you and I can do while we're waiting. 
And that's, the, that's what I want to look at this morning from the story of Joshua. As we talk about give me my mountain, I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 14, and I want to help you focus this morning on the period of time between 40 years of age and 85. Now, in your life, it might be like this. You are a college student, or you're a high school student, you're wanting to go to college, and God has not shown you what to do yet. How many know you need to wait? You may be a single person, and you are looking for Mr. Right or Miss Right, and how many know you obviously don't need to listen to Cupid, right? How many know better to wait to marry the right person than push yourself into it and marry the wrong person? How many can say amen to that? So let's talk this morning about the power of waiting. I want you to turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 14, and I want you to look at verse 6 with me. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me. Now here's the picture. Joshua and Caleb at this writing are 85 years of age or so. They're older men. And they had experienced, you see, they were a part of 12 spies, you know the story, that had gone into the promised land. They were checking it out just to see what the land was going to be like. Could they actually inherit what God said they could? Well, Joshua and Caleb brought back a good report. They said, yes, we can do what God said. But guess what the other ten said? The other ten said, we can't do it. It's too difficult. It's too hard. And a whole generation was cursed, and they died in the wilderness. So for 40 years, of this 40 to 85, 40 years was spent in the wilderness by themselves, so to speak, all alone as men of faith, watching all their friends die. And then they had to take the next five years to actually go into the promised land to go in and take care of all the enemies that were there and drive them out. So what they're doing now is, is, is Caleb is talking to Joshua, who's the leader. And notice what he says, because he'll say this four times. He says, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me. This word was a promise. In verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to spy out the land. And I brought back a report according to my convictions. But look at verse 8. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Now look, he says it again in verse 9. Moses swore to me that day, or Moses made a promise, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden or walked will be your inheritance and your children's forever because you wholly follow the Lord. So God made a promise that one day you're going to inherit this place, this mountain. In verse 10, Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. Punch your neighbor and say, there's hope for you. 85 years old. 85 years old. God had kept him alive. And verse 11 says, I'm as strong this day on the mountain as Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war. Both for going out and coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Can you say that with me? Give me this mountain that the Lord promised me. So I want you to give me a few minutes this morning, and let's step into this text, and let's learn some spiritual lessons about what happens while you're waiting. Because I can virtually guarantee you, every one of us in this room is waiting for God to answer some prayer, waiting for God to turn around some circumstances, waiting for God to change some things. And it's during that time of waiting, how many know you're not just sitting watching reruns of The Cosby Show? I mean, no, you've got to be doing something more than that. There's a deliberateness when it comes to waiting as Christians. There's a focus that you and I are to have. There's something that we do as we wait. 
So let's step into the passage together. Look back in verse 6, and the first one, which is arguably the most important point this morning, is during this time of waiting, he focused on the promise from God. Let me say it again. He focused on a word that God had given him, a word that gave him direction and focus for 45 years of his life. He said it four times. Back in verse 6 when he said to Joshua, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses concerning you and me. And Moses' promise on the behalf of God was that the land where your foot has trodden will be your inheritance and your children's inheritance forever. Now, what do you think about that? Here's a guy that had a promise from God, and he spent 40 years of his life in what was called the wilderness. During this 40-year period of time, listen, he didn't have a job. In other words, there was no place he was working and making money. He didn't have a house to live in. He He didn't even have food to eat every day. You know what he had to do for his food every day? Guess what he would do? Every day he would go outside and he would pick up something off the ground called manna. Can you say manna? It was just this surprise, so to speak, and he'd go out every morning. So here's a guy, and the same giants that were in the land where he started, guess what? They're still there. So the same thing that kept them out for 45 years are still right in their place. But this guy, for 45 years, has held on tightly to something. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that the same God that gave Caleb a promise for his future is still giving promises today. Let me say it again. The same God that gave Caleb a promise for his future is still giving promises today. How many know your Bible and mine says, He who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So you ever feel like you just cannot make it in your life? You can't go forward as a Christian. You can go to that promise in the book of Philippians, and there's a promise from God, listen, that he is going to help you, and he's going to be with you. You know, the Bible tells you that if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, what will God do? He will take care of you. And listen, God is not concerned if the American economy goes down the tubes. How many know God is still God? See, sometimes we're more moved by what we read in the Wall Street Journal. We're more moved by what we read on the Internet than what we see the Holy Spirit doing through the Scriptures and what God has spoken to us. See, all the great people in the Bible had a promise from God that defined their life. Moses one day was going to face a flood that was going to destroy the whole world. But God had told Moses, I want you to build a ship, and this ship is going to save your family. And guess what? Uh, Noah dedicated 100 years of his life to building that ship, and they got on the ark just at the right period of time. How many know God gave a promise to Abraham that when he was 75 years of age, that God was going to give him a son one day, and this son would bless the entire human race? Guess what? He had to wait 25 years before God brought Isaac into his life. But I want to tell you this. God is faithful, and God will do what he said. Let me say it again. God is faithful, and God will do what he said. And it doesn't matter what it looks like in your life today. See, that's why it's so important that you take a daily time to connect with God each day so you can allow the Bible to speak to you, so the Holy Spirit can speak to you when you open that book, when you pray and when you seek God. Because listen, a word from God will sustain you. A word from God will sustain you. I've been here in this church a long time. But I remember when I was coming here when the Holy Spirit told me that this was where I was supposed to go. I was driving from Highway 155 to Tyler to here. I can tell you exactly where I was when I, it was almost like I heard God say, I want you to go to that church. I didn't see, I didn't have a formal invitation. I'd never preached here. I didn't know anything about the church. But God told me to go. And guess what? When you have a word from God that defines and guides your life, you can hang on. 
See, we, we have people in our church that are running for political office. I applaud them because they want to step into our culture and bring some righteousness back in an unrighteous society. Well, guess what? If God told them to get into the race, then you can face whatever struggle is before you. See, and this is arguably the most important thing I'll tell you today is that a promise from God will sustain you in your life and it will keep you moving from 40 till 85 and it so moved this man that at 85 years of age he said, listen, there's something that God promised me a long time ago. I want it, Joshua, and you can give it to me and I'm ready to go. Someone say praise the Lord this morning. Let's look further this morning. Now, there's four things I want to tell you from this story today about the life of Caleb. The first one was he stayed focused on the promise of God, but I want you to hear the next one because every promise from God will be tested. Can, can you say the word tested? I can virtually guarantee you if you're a man, if you're a woman of faith, the promises from God, what you're believing for, what you're praying for, what you believe came true to you in a prophecy or a vision or a dream from God, I can assure you that word will be tested. And something happened every step of this man's journey that he had to fight. Now look in verse 25, uh, verse 8 again. At this point, uh, Caleb believed God in spite of his circumstances. Now look in verse 8. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. That is, these ten spies that came back discouraged everybody else. But I wholly followed the Lord. Now I want you to see the difference here. Ten people say it can't be done because of the problems. One person says, two people say it can be done because of God. Now, I want to read you a passage from Numbers 13, verse 25. It's what Caleb was referring to. After they had gone out into the land and explored it, look at, look at verse 25. They explored this promised land for 40 days, and the men came back. In verse 27, this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country. And I wish they'd have stopped right there. But verse 28 has one of the most destructive words in the Bible. It's three letters. It's but. We know it's a bountiful place. It's exactly what God said. But I know the Bible tells me not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. I know that I shouldn't be dating or getting serious about someone that's not a Christian. But well, I know God said that He was going to open a door for me to go to school. But I know God sent me to Texarkana. But See, something stops us in the pursuit of God's promise for our life. The people living there are powerful. Now, these are facts. They're undeniable. But what I will suggest to you this morning, your faith has to be greater than the facts. Let me say it again. Your faith has to have more credence than the calculator. Your faith has to be the trump card, not the attorney or the doctor. Thank God for good attorneys and doctors. But guess what? Ultimately, God has to have the final say in our lives. Their people are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak or the Anakim. Verse 30, Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. And Caleb said, let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. Now stay with me. The most pivotal point in the story. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who explored the land disagreed. We cannot go up against them. They're stronger than we are. I want you to see that. Two men. How could two people see the same thing but see it differently? Both people saw the giants, the Anakim, which by the way, Goliath was a part of this group. So it was real. Their cities were real. All the facts were true. But how can two people look at the same situation and see it differently? 
Now, I want you to listen because this will help you today. You can look at something either just through all the natural eyes and the facts and the fears, or you can look at it through the eyes of faith and what God said. I want to ask you a question. How can one person say, I can't, when one person says, I can? How can one person see the problem and ignore God, but one person can ignore God and see the problem? Let me say it again. One person ignores the problem and sees God. One person ignores God and sees the problem. And that's the defining mark why some million people died in the wilderness because they didn't see what Caleb and Joshua saw. It's a powerful truth here. He believed God in spite of his circumstances. And guess what? You and I have to have that same ability to believe God in spite of what people tell us and in spite of what we see with our eyes. It's real and it's powerful. We have to have these things called courage to face our giants. And that's what was missing. They lacked courage. Uh, Steve told me this morning, John Wayne's definition of courage was being scared to death but saddling up anyway. See, courage is not the absence of fear. Listen to me now. Courage is doing it just because it's the right thing to do. See, courage is not that you're not afraid. The most frequent command that God gave early in the book of Joshua to these new leaders was, guess what? Be strong and... Say it again. Be strong and courageous because they knew they were going to face some things that were bigger than them. Now, I want to tell you something. Young people, listen to me this morning. You're going to face some things in life that are bigger than you. You're going to face some challenges like business person, listen to me, in today's economy, in today's world, you're going to face some things that are bigger than you. You're going to face lawsuits that have the ability to stifle you, to shut you down. You're going to face things in an uncertain economy and future that can stop you. But I want to tell you, God is bigger than these things. And God can see you through the other side. I got the most amazing email from our friend in Haiti yesterday, Jay Threadgill. They celebrated, if I can say the word, they remembered the one-month anniversary of the earthquake in Haiti. The national government had called a day of mourning. The church called a day of prayer and fasting. He said he had from ten to 15,000 people come for two days just to seek God and cry out to God. Can I tell you, God is able to do things in an incredibly amazing way beyond what we can seek or imagine. Here's an, here's an island that was virtually destroyed. 230,000 people were killed. Uh, but guess what? God is emerging and rebuilding a place on a righteous foundation. But it takes courage to hang in there. Listen, our friend has been down there. You've probably gone to Red Lobster and McDonald's and Outback or somewhere. Come on. Somebody's diner. Since then, you've watched a bit of TV. He's been in Haiti the whole time. Come on. And no McDonald's are even open. But something can happen when a man has courage to say, I'm not going to let this drive me out. Let me read you, read you a quick story. Hey, you remember Paul Harvey and the rest of the story? Remember Paul Harvey? Here's his story. Here's how it goes. He says, one summer morning, as Ray Blankenship was preparing his breakfast, he gazed out the window and he saw a small girl being swept away in a rain-flooded drainage ditch. Get the picture? This guy's having breakfast, huge rainstorm, and there's a little girl that's caught in this drainage ditch going towards her death. Well, he knew that further downstream, the ditch disappeared with a roar under the road and then emptied into the main culvert. Ray dashed out the door and he raced along the ditch and he tried to get ahead of the flounder foundering child. And then he hurled himself deep into the water, churning water. Blankenship surfaced and was able to grab the child's arm. You get the picture? They tumbled end over end and within three feet of the culvert, his hand felt something. Could have been a rock protruding from one bank. 
He clung desperately, but the tremendous force of the water tried to tear him and the child away. If I can just hang on until help comes, he thought, but he did better than that. By the time the fire department rescuers arrived, he had pulled the girl to safety. Ray Blankenship was awarded the Coast Guard Silver Lifesaving Medal. The award is fitting for this selfless person was at an even greater risk to himself than most people knew. Ray Blankenship couldn't swim. It makes the story different, doesn't it? When you jump into the water and you've got a life jacket and you know you're a big guy and you've got the strength to pull her out, it's one thing. But when you can't even swim and there's a little girl going to her death. Now, nothing spiritual in this story, nothing about prayer, but it's a picture of courage. See, it's a picture of Caleb as a young man being able to go to these nine-foot-tall giants. He said, well, that's impossible. Really? It's amazing to me how many seven-foot basketball players are out there now. and They seem to get bigger and bigger. But there's a nine-foot giant, and he looks at these guys and said, we can do it because God said we could. Now, I want to tell you, friends, listen, you're going to face obstacles in your life as a Christian. You're going to face impossibilities. You're going to face circumstances that say you can't do it. But there's a living message from Caleb's story this morning, and it's this. Listen, God is bigger than the problem. And you cannot allow yourself to be defined by the problem. We must be defined by God and His Word. Someone give the Lord a big hand this morning. Now, look in verse 10. Now, here's an interesting verse. Verse 10 in this passage. He recognized the unseen hand of God. Now, when you're reading through the book of Joshua, you may just skip over this one, but I want you to stay with me on this. Look at verse 10. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as He said, these 45 years. Now, think about this. The Lord has kept me alive these 45 years. You say, ah, what's the big deal about that? Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am today, 85 years old. We say, well, what's significant about that? I'll tell you. Acts 17, I believe it's verse 28, it says this simple scripture. It says, in Him, or in Christ, we live and move and have our being. Now, what does that mean? That means everything I am, everything I have, Everything I can do is because of Christ. Let me say it again. Everything I own, every bit of physical ability, my intellectual ability, anything that I can do, anything I will ever do in my life is because of Christ. Now let me suggest this to you. While you are waiting for some period of time, we miss the simple things in an ordinary experiences of life that show us that God is the one that's taking care of us. Let me ask you this. When you awoke this morning, did you pause to thank God that God kept you safe through the night? Did you pause to realize because there are people whose homes were broken into, there are people who lost their lives, there are people who died in the middle of the night? Did you pause to thank God when you had food to eat this morning? See, we're so used to the rhythm of our life. We're so used to things working out. We're so used to having a job and making a paycheck. I was thinking the other day how just paying bills has changed. Every bill I pay is done electronically now. Every one. I mean, some things come out of my checking account, some things I put on my credit card and I get airline mileage. But I told my wife the other day, there's not one bill that comes through our household that doesn't have some electronic attachment to it. But here's the only kicker. I've got to keep putting money in the account, come on, for the system to work. 
And you can just assume that everything is going great and everything is going wonderful, but all of a sudden, that little piece of paper could stop and the whole thing would come tumbling down. So when you got something to eat this morning, when your wife said, come on, we're going to go to church, and it's oatmeal, it's Cheerios, whatever, whatever may have been on your table, do you know that God gave you that? See, and the reason you say your prayer over a meal is not because you're praying that God would take botulism out of the food. Come on, that's not our problem very much in America. Sometimes we get a little, uh, whatever, what's it called, the uh, E. coli. But most of the time we don't. What we pray for is to recognize that God is the one that gave me this daily bread. That God is the one that put this food on my table. See, you don't, you don't realize that until there's a massive snowstorm on the East Coast and they show you a picture of the grocery stores and there's nothing on the shelf because the whole East Coast has been shut down by snow in a period of global warming, I might add. It snows because it's warming. If you can figure out all that is going on out in that world today. But what does that tell you? Everything is going great until something stops. And what I'm trying to tell you is every day, if you will just pause to realize every good thing in my life is because of Jesus. In Him, I live and move and have my being. See, more than likely, you got to church this morning in a vehicle, and you got in and it was 30 degrees, and you pushed a button, and warm air began to come out of that. But I drove from Redwater, I probably passed 50 cars six to eight feet away from me, any one of which could have killed me if they'd have been talking on their cell phone or texting. And just like that, I could have been dead. Yesterday, I was just driving back. I went to get a little uh, bite to eat yesterday, and I'm coming across Summerhill, and someone has ignored the light. And in the middle of the intersection, I slam on brakes. I'm grateful that I watched. And all they could go is, oh, sorry. But, yeah, sorry, but one of us could be dead. But when you get out of your car, could we just maybe stop and say, thank you, Lord, that you kept me safe. That's what Caleb was trying to tell us when he said, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years. And I'm telling you, friend, while you're waiting, it's the simple daily things in life that you can recognize God for that will cause you to give praise and that will help you as you wait. Because the problem is you are going to have to wait for some things in life. Some of you have been married and been trying to have a baby for years and cannot have a child and it is driving you insane. Come on. And you don't have the money for the treatments. You don't know what to do. You are waiting. See? Some of you are waiting for a child to turn their life around and you feel like giving up. You feel like quitting. Waiting, my friend, of recognizing the things that God does each day. And we'll give the Lord a hand today. He's an awesome God, and we praise Him. I'm going to close this morning from Joshua 14, verse 12. Now, there's some lessons in this story for you. When I read my Bible, I don't just read for information. I'm reading asking God to make this real in my life. So Caleb teaches us this morning, he teaches us to focus on the promise from God. He teaches us to believe God in spite of the circumstances. He teaches us to recognize the unseen hand of God. And here's the last one. Caleb teaches us to keep going until you get the prize. Let me say it again. Keep going until you get the prize. What Caleb taught us is this. Don't quit. Can you say it with me? Don't quit. Look at verse 12 of chapter 14. Now therefore, Caleb, what did he say? Give me this mountain. Don't you think about it. He's 85 years of age. Now, I don't know how old you are. If you're near that point in life, think of yourself. If you're a younger person, think of your father or think of your grandfather. 
But being at a stage of life, and I'm 85 years old, I want it. I've waited 45 years for it. And I'll do whatever it takes to get it. This man would not quit. You know, Babe Ruth made a statement, the great baseball player. Babe Ruth said, you can never beat someone who will never quit. You see, if someone is just willing to keep going, and particularly when you're going after God, this 85-year-old man did not quit. He didn't let the giant stop him. He didn't let creaky joints stop him. He didn't let the fact that he was tired of fighting stop him. He wouldn't quit. I'll tell you a little story about William Churchill. Remember, he was the Prime Minister of England in World War II. The whole world could have become a communist world. It was like the forces of freedom were aligned against the forces of communism and socialism and all the isms that were out there, all embodied in this man called Adolf Hitler. And Churchill led not only the nation, but Churchill led the world. You know, Churchill was from Great Britain. He was made an honorary American citizen because of the leadership he provided in that era of life. Listen to one of his great speeches. You've heard this. Here's what he said. Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. And nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in. Never give in except to your convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Never give in. Thomas Edison, you remember, he's famous for inventing the light bulb. Fail thousands of times to make it. Thomas Edison said one of the many of life's failures are people who don't realize how close they were to success before they gave up. So I want to tell you this morning, if this word from Caleb could bring something to you, don't give up. See on top of that ladder. A young man started at 40, and when he reached the top, he was still climbing. And he still had his sword in his hand. He was still focused on what God had promised him, and he didn't give up. Listen, I want to tell you, some of you in here, you feel like giving up on your marriage. Don't do it. You feel like giving up on your pursuit of education. Don't do it. You feel like giving up on, on, on the ministry, giving up on the mission field. Don't do it. If God has put something in your heart, my friend, don't let anything stand in your way. Let it be a message from Caleb today, an 85-year-old man standing with his sword in his hand saying, Give me my mountain. Someone say praise the Lord this morning. Give the Lord a good hand. I want you to bow your head this morning. Now let's just take a minute just to pray, just kind of right where we are. You don't have to tell her soul, but I want us to engage God for just a moment. I want us to believe in a supernatural moment of prayer that the Holy Spirit can come to you this morning. I want to believe that the Spirit of God can bring you faith, that He can bring you strength, that He can bring you life, that He can bring you hope, that He can give you a renewed vision to see beyond the giants between where you are and where you're going. But I wonder if you're here today and say, and you're saying, Pastor, I'm just having a hard time waiting. And I'm going to ask right now for the Holy Spirit just to help me. I'm having a hard time waiting, Pastor. I need God to help me. Would you just lift your hand? Nobody looking around. You're reaching out to your Father in heaven. I'm having a hard time waiting. I'm having a hard time. It's a struggle for me. And I'm going to reach out to you, the source of my strength. 
Remember the psalmist that said, I will lift up my eyes into the hills. Whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Do you help me, Holy Spirit? Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've got people that are surrounding you saying it can't be done. It's not going to happen. That's what those ten spies said. It's impossible. We cannot go in this land. I wonder if you're here today and those ten spies are around you today. You've got people around you saying it's not going to happen. It can't be done. And you're having a hard time resisting their voice. Would you just lift your hand? Just lift your hand today saying I've got the wrong people speaking into my ear and their words are pretty loud. And I want to just pray that God would help me to be able to kind of put earplugs in my ear and not be influenced by them. Maybe the Holy Spirit's showing you you need a little distance between you and them if you're listening to the wrong people. Maybe you're here this morning and you just simply say, Pastor, I need some courage to face my giants because I feel like giving up. I want you to just lift your hands to heaven right now. Come on, if any of these apply to you. I want you to just lift your hands to heaven right now. And let's just ask God to just do something supernatural. Come on, all of us. Let's just reach out to God right now. And just ask God by faith to do something supernatural in us today. Let's begin to pray with me right now. There's many people in this room today that are exactly where Caleb was at 45, 50, 55, 60, 65, 70, 75, 80 years of age, and even 84 years of age. They're right there, but they just need God to strengthen them right now. Holy Spirit, we pray for that very thing. I pray for the gift of faith to be released in this building right now. I pray for the supernatural faith. Come on, begin to pray with me right now. I want you to just begin praying in the Spirit right now because this is a spiritual battle for many people right now. They are battling for their life. Come on, begin to pray right now. Just kind of pray to you. Pray, just pray softly, but I want you to begin to pray in the Spirit now. Just begin praying for other people that are struggling right now, other people that are battling, other people that are in need of God's help today, God's strengthening hand. Come on, begin to pray for friends right now. I guarantee you there's people that Satan is attacking, that Satan is afflicting right now. Father, we just cover our friends today in prayer. We cover them in prayer today. Everyone that's reaching out to you right now, we pray the Spirit of the living God would come to their aid. We pray that angels would rally around them to their defense today. Hallelujah. This is our prayer in, in Jesus' name. Somebody give the Lord a big hand today. Come on, he's awesome. Give the Lord a big hand today. God, we bless you. Come on, sing it, Pastor. You are worthy. Let's stand to our feet. We'll sing this together. It makes me want to shout the hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. in just a second but let me first give a personal invitation if you're here today and you like this church you just feel God here and you want to be a part you're kind of like a more of a spectator than you are kind of a part you want you want to become a part of the church family you want to get connected you want to get involved let me invite you to do that today if after this service if you'll just go right behind you in the hallway there's a connect room there's staff in there and just say hey I want to get connected I'm ready to go deeper in my spiritual life I want to be a part we'd be honored to have you 
Now let me ask this last question before we go. And I want you to just kind of look at me eyeball to eyeball just a second. I'm going to ask you a serious question. But if you were to die today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Now can I tell you this? There's no more question more important than could be asked. Oftentimes people have a warning. A doctor will say, you've got three months to live. You've got six months to live. I'm 52. I look in the paper. I see people younger than me in the obituary page. There's little reminders. But most people don't know when it's coming. It's there. And can I tell you, according to the Bible, if you're not right with God, if you're not saved, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is eternally too late at that point. You don't have a second chance. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment you're going to stand before God and give an account before your life one day I want to tell you some wonderful news today on that great day when you stand before God and give an account for your life Jesus Christ would like to be standing with you he'd like for you to be on his side he'd like for you to have believed in him see Jesus offers a gift to you that only he can give the gift of eternal life only Jesus can offer the forgiveness of sins only Jesus lived a perfect life and died on a cross so his death took our place. It's like you owe a car payment but can't pay it and the repo man's going to come take it away. Well, it's like Jesus went to the bank and paid it off. And then the banker wrote on your car on the title, paid in full, and they send you a clean title in the mail. He did something you couldn't do for yourself. But guess what? We've got to make a step for him. But let me say this to you today. In just a second, I'm going to ask you, if you've got the courage to lift up your hand and say, I want to commit my life to Christ, we'll reach out to you and pray for you. But let me say this, don't lift your hand just because you want to go to heaven. Lift your hand because you want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Lift your hand because you want to have a relationship with Christ. You want to know Him who sticks closer than a brother. You want Him to be your Savior and your friend. Not the man upstairs, but you want Him to be your God. And you want to follow Him. He offers you the gift of eternal life. He did the hard part. He died on the cross. Yours is the next step to say, Jesus, I want to follow you and serve you the rest of my days. I want you to forgive my sins. I give you my life. If you're here today and that's you and you want us to pray for you today, I want you to lift your hand real high and do it high so I can see with all the people standing. If you're here today, I want to get right with God today. Anyone this morning, I want to get right with God today. First time, or you might have gotten away from God and I want to come back to God today. Praise the Lord. I'll keep asking every Sunday you keep coming and bringing somebody. Praise the Lord. Hey, this was a great day, wasn't it? A right, great day today. And don't forget all those sweet Valentine things you said here. You can get a little mileage out of that. Let your love just grow and grow and grow. Pastor Joe is going to have the closing prayer. I love you, and we'll see you Wednesday night. Great message today. But the question is, how are you going to apply it to your life? So here's what we're going to do. On the count of three, we're going to say, I won't quit. And I want you to think about the mountain in your life that you're going to obtain. And here's what we're also going to do. We're going to rock fist it today, all right? So on the count of three, I won't quit. One, two, three, I won't. You guys are awesome.